Welcome to episode 13 of the Walsh's Playbook. Uh, this episode is known as our Olympic Breakdown. Yeah, we're going to talk about like uh, all the things leading up to uh, the bronze medal match, the gold medal match, uh, how exciting it was and a close finish in a lot of those games. Yeah, um, with, with the conclusion of the tournament, there's just so much exciting things to talk about. Um, the last place we left you guys was with us. Australia had just defeated Italy to go 2-0 to start their Olympic campaign in the qualifying games of Pool B. Um, and obviously a lot has happened since then, and we've loved watching every second of it. Hopefully you guys have as well. Uh, and yeah, let's get right into it with um, just brushing over some quick results that happened. The quarterfinals, we saw Australia matched up against Argentina. Uh, and that was a, what an emphatic win that was for them. Yeah, they, they, they got, up big, got up big on them, um, 97 to 59. Uh, Paddy Mills was huge, and I was really impressed with the play of Nick Kay and Jock Landale in those games. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really um, stepping up in the absence of, you know, someone that's been part of their Olympic campaign, Aaron Baines. So they were without him for all of that. Yeah. But um, really, really strong play from from the bigs there. Yeah. Um, I think it was a game where, you know, it was neck and neck for a lot of the game. Uh, and Australia were challenged at times. But to be able to, they finished with it 97-59, as I think I said. So they were able to come back and um, have a really, really dominant fourth quarter, went on a massive run. With 97 points, they put up one of the highest you know, scoring campaigns throughout the Olympics on, with that. There was obviously uh, quite a few that were similar. But you know, 97 strong points kept Argentina to 59. Um, fourth quarter blowout meant that the subs were able to come in with about five minutes to go. Yeah, it's important and to get guys like Josh Green, Nathan exactly. Sophie, those, that little bit of rep. Yeah, really important. One thing I mentioned on uh, our Instagram following that game was do not underestimate the importance of having those guys get touches on the court in a quarterfinal matchup see the court and get out there. We knew they were going to be pumped and ready to go for the semifinals. Uh, before we get into that semifinal matchup, the US defeated Spain by 14. Credit to Ricky Rubio, who is very, he's very similar, draws comparisons to Paddy Mills and how he steps up and plays Definitely. for his country. Yeah. He was phenomenal, uh, you know, absolutely incredible in that game. Um, he, it felt as though he was, you know, it was 1v5 at times yeah. against the U.S. You know, he was scoring on every possession, but the U.S., you know, there's five guys on the U.S. who were weapons. If you look at those stat lines, you'd be impressed to see that, you know, Marc Gasol was scoreless. Um, Pau Gasol, um, like, to be fair, very like very limited at his age in terms of, like, you know, changing a game, yeah. especially against such a, 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 an elite team as the U.S., so, um, you know, Spain, they, they, were, they were going as far as Ricky Rubio took them mm-hmm. in that game. And yeah, he did incredible. But like you said, the Gasols who carried the, um, the torch for, for Spain for so long, yep. they're, you know, obviously past their prime. And I think that's the last we'll see of Pau Gasol, who had a tremendous career yeah. in the NBA and, and playing for Spain. But uh, Ricky Rubio is the guy on that team. Credit to him for, for, for giving everything he had against the US. Um, yep. The US obviously just proved too strong. And then just to rattle off quickly, we had France defeat Italy by nine points, and we had Slovenia beat Germany by 14, led by, obviously, Luka Doncic. Yeah, amazing, as, as he has been. So then going into the semi-finals matchups. So these were huge matchups for um, for everyone involved. Uh, we knew, basically going into it, this was the biggest game of basketball in Australian history. If they were able to get this win, it was going to be you know, mm-hmm. like, iconic. Um, yeah. 
So we'll go well, firstly, just France versus Slovenia, mm-hmm. uh, just because, you know, obviously we're going to spend more time focusing on the Australia versus USA game. So France and Slovenia, absolute nail biter. Um, France ended up winning 90 to 89. Yeah. Um, they've imposed their will inside. We've talked about this at times during the podcast, but they were a team that's big. They got Gobert. They've got, you know, uh, foul on the bench as well. Two guys who were just really big bodies and they play through them in the post. Um, so they play inside out. Yeah, and I loved watching Slovenia play. Um, as much as uh, an elite team France is, they didn't back down. Mm-hmm. Slovenia were, da- were down by as many as 10 points at one point in that yeah. game. And uh, that team, you know, they, they fight hard. They follow Luca, and he led them led them back into that game. Yeah. Um, it was an interesting finish because, um, unfortunately, Luca, you know, he suffered a yeah, couple yeah. of um, wrist injuries throughout the game. You know, he's playing so hard. He, he reps Slovenia, you know, with on, on his chest. Um, and, you know, with those injuries, he was unable to really be a factor shooting the ball late in that game. That I think that was a, you know, big, yeah, big in terms of, like, the out- outcome. It certainly was. Um, Luca, uh, you know, it's been, you know, he was arguably the player of the tournament. Uh, you know, he's up there with the likes of Paddy and KD and stuff like that. He was incredible. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, 90 to 89, you know, they, they gave themselves a shot, even with Luca not attempting any field goals in the last three or four minutes due to his wrist. Still had 18 um, assists. Yeah, had yeah, 18 yeah. assists, recorded a triple-double. Um, and on the very last play, you see Nick Batum, who's a savvy, you know, veteran of the game, mm. come in for a game-saving block, uh, which otherwise would have been a layup that would have sent Slovenia to their first ever, um, in their first ever Olympic campaign, they would have been going to the gold medal match. Yeah, and um, this is definitely isn't the last we've seen in Slovenia. Um, with Luca coming back healthy, you know, the next next Olympics, he's gonna he's gonna get them yeah. where they where they want to go. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, fantastic finish and. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to knock Luca as well. I, I'm a huge Luca fan. I think he's incredible. But interesting point that's worth debate. You might disagree or mm. ag- agree or disagree. Despite the fact that he was injured, and I know he hurt himself. Yeah. If that happened to LeBron James in a game of basketball, yeah, he, people would not give him any excuse. He Stephen would get, A. Smith would be on. He the, would be slandered for that. Yeah. I mean, I and I, I'm not saying that Luca did the wrong thing by not shooting the ball for the last three or four yeah. minutes, but it's just interesting. People are putting Luca in those conversations as in well, one of the guys who early in his career has the trajectory trajectory to be one of the greatest ever. Uh, I don't think LeBron could ever get away with not shooting the ball for the last four minutes. Yeah, and if he exactly, did, he'd be, yeah. he'd be put under a lot of he'd be he'd be under, under a lot pressure. of scrutiny. So it's interesting to see. Um, and obviously that's nothing against Luca. And obviously you know you can tell that he was doing everything he could to win and playing through through pain as well. Yeah, just interesting when you're putting him in that category. Oh no doubt, yeah. Uh, and then, of course, the one that we wanted to, to speak about the most was Australia v USA. And just got to quickly talk about the hype about this game. Um, everyone in Australia had, you know, sort of jumped on the hype train of what the Boomers mm-hmm. were doing. Um, it had been, you know, well shared around how big of a game this was historically. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like amazing to have like sort of everyone watching that game, um, yep. eyes keen and... Uh, Fantastic, fantastic first half. Oh, the first half, I was jumping out of my seat, like so incredible from the Aussies. Um, you know, really came out strong. Yeah, doing everything right. Um, and you could see just passion. Um, it was it was a great start from Australia. Like Paddy Mills wasn't going off, but the whole team was contributing. Mm-hmm. And really, they as soon as they um they got up at one point by fifteen points. Yeah. Um, due to some really tremendous play from Jock Landale inside yep. and Dante Exum. Yeah. Um, and they were really following suit. They saw that they had the US on the back foot, and mm-hmm. they believed they could do it, but. We, we know this is the US. We know how mm-hmm. much of a star-studded team and that we know they have Kevin Durant. Yeah, just to, to go with that first half. Um, so in terms of offense for Australia, they, they got offense everywhere, which was great. Yep. Um, Paddy Mills was unable to score the way that he has previously. He still had a great game. Yeah, 15 but, um, points. 15 points. So what we found was they were chasing him off the three-point line. 
So he was attacking off the dribble a lot, but then you've got the big athletic US defenders on help defense who were able to come over and rotate and kind of alter his layups. Mm. So, you know, being a shorter guy, he was getting to the rim, but then kind of being affected by the help defense. And it sort of, it made him become a bit more of a playmaker. He finished yeah. the game with a team high eight assists. Which is awesome, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and he did a great job. Uh, defensively for Australia, you know, uh, defense is something that Coach Gorgian hangs his hat on mm-hmm. uh, and has had a huge impact on the Australians for. And in the first half, you saw them, basically it was 5v1 in terms of they locked down the US's perimeter players, you know, made sure guys like Book and Tatum and Lillard weren't getting open perimeter shots, yeah. which they Australia can do because they're so mobile. Like even the bigs can stretch out to the mm-hmm. three and play defense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, KD's unstoppable. So he kept them in the game. He was scoring out of isolation, which you, you totally expect. And when I was watching that, I was like, look, if it's just KD doing the damage then yeah. we're going to be okay you expect that he's the best scorer on the planet so let him do that let's try limit the other guys but the second half is where it kind of fell apart yeah it was definitely in the australia's game plan to just make sure you take care of everyone else around him and you let kd do his work but yeah as you said going to the second half that's where we saw guys like zach levine start to light it up from three point jason tatum um was pretty effective from three and the whole team started to feed off that confidence and that's where i i saw in the, the start of the sorry the third quarter um, it was a bit frustrating watching Australia. They looked a bit predictable in what they were trying to do, trying to get Paddy open. Mm-hmm. Um, and the rest of the team was trying to look to Paddy to get the offense going and not and not really creating anything themselves. Brian Gorgian let that team run that first like six, seven minutes without making any subs. And that's where the game sort of got away from Australia. Yeah, it's interesting. You saw Gorgian get a little bit of, a couple, a little bit of slack for not um, making any substitutions or calling timeouts in that mm. run. I mean, you can't put it all on that. You know, not there are all, different yeah. things. I think defensively, we just started to have lapses. The thing is, when you play against the US, you have to be perfect for pretty much 40 minutes. Like, you really do. And I'd say we were as close to perfect as you can get for the first 15 minutes of the game, right? Mm. That's as close to perfect as it gets. And then, you know, it's not quite sustainable to be perfect for 40 minutes. Um, In the second half, you know, it's one missed assignment. If you miss your assignment once, you know, if you miscommunicate, if you, you know, you're just caught napping, if you, you miss out on someone who's open... They're going to make you pay. You yeah. know, Book, Tatum. I mean, look at the guys who are out there. They're all yeah, scoring yeah. machines who, who, they're professional score. They get paid millions to score the basketball yeah. and they're going to do that. As, as inconsistent as the US has been, they're always going to find their way yeah. um, when, when they start moving the ball and everyone's, you know, feeling confident. Yeah. So that, that game ran away from Australia in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, you know, as down as it looked at the end, like the, obviously all the fans, especially the players, all those guys have been fighting for a gold medal. That's always been the aim of this Olympics. Um, you know, they have to switch their focus to the bronze medal match yeah, after and, that. And that's something that um, we're going to touch on this in our old school story today, mm-hmm. uh, which all ties into this uh, surrounding the boomers. But that's something to that, you know, the the Australians always have hopes of, you know, a gold medal or a silver, you know, getting to that gold medal match as uh, something that's incredibly hard to achieve. And they put everything into that. And you've seen at times in the past, this very dangerous trend of Australia losing in the semifinals, you know, becoming disheartened and then, you know, failing in the in the uh, bronze medal game, yeah. uh, you know, not getting up for it, you know, kind of being too devastated from the loss before to bounce back and win. Yeah. So this bronze medal game became huge and it was really important that they didn't repeat history, uh, realize that there's still a goal and that to get a medal would still be a first ever for Australia. Yeah, like they were gonna, they've, they've got to keep the eyes on that. They, they want to make pr- history either way. Exactly. Um, so now we move into the, um, the medal matches. So the first one of the day, uh, which was played at midday, was between the US and France. Mm-hmm. Very uh, convenient to be played at midday. So yeah, so uh, that was um, perfect timing for the US audience, which I guess play it paid dividends. Um, I, I noted to Christian a few days earlier that they'd scheduled the games in a really interesting way. That um, I, I think they were 
trying to make it prime time for US TV, the goal game, just in anticipation that the US would be there. Yeah, I followed up on that and they paid um, a few billion dollars to have that changed yeah. over to their to yeah. their time. So, so that was just, you know, they I think they kind of predicted the US would be in that situation. <laughs> and I guess they were right in the end, yeah, the US yeah. were, but not without mm-hmm. their challenges along the way. But um, yeah, so that gold medal game, great effort by France. What a matchup! Um, and France, the US were leading most of the way, but France were keeping it close. They mm-hmm. were they were they were they were on the doorstep the whole time. Yeah. Um, Rudy Gobert, sixteen points, eight rebounds. He was yeah. he was you know effective. Uh, Fournier was able to get going a bit, but they weren't able to get some a score into the twenties. But they still they still stayed um, neck and neck with the US. Yeah. So the final score was 87-82. Mm-hmm. Um, you saw a complete contrast of styles. You know, when you've got Gobert down there, the game slows down and you start to play through yep. the post. So the French, you know, the French team played through the post. You know, they wanted the ball to touch the post hands every single possession. So yep. you know, it's feed the post and either go to work, get fouled, or kick it back out from there. That's how they generate their offense. Exactly. Whereas the US is a lot of motion, five out, you know, move the ball, get KD the ball in isolation, um, shoot a high volume three, stuff yeah. like that. And- so, yeah, so you see, you know, the French, a complete contrast. The French are trying to bang down low. And there was times where it looked like they were bullying them down low. You yeah, know, they yeah, had yeah. the size, they were kind of, they get in the post, they get, and they, the, the US can't do anything but foul them sometimes. Yeah, exactly. And um, Kevin Durant was amazing in the gold medal match and he's um you know really making a case he's already you know become the all-time scoring leader for the us but he's making cases one like you know top two usa players ever um you know maybe put him and jordan together there yeah um and he had 29 points in the gold medal match followed by tatum who had 19 and 7 um and draymond green led the team with five assists yeah, uh, the good effort from them, again, it started off with a lot of KD just keeping them in the game. It was yeah. very, very similar style to the Australian game mm-hmm. that had happened before. So it was KD is going to be consistent, a consistent threat. He's going to get to his mid-range, get to his spots and just score the basketball. Yeah. Um, and then it's in. they started off struggling from three, but as the game goes on, all those other guys start to shoot the ball well and then it just becomes a little bit too much. But um, France, you know, really had their chances. Like I said, banging down low. This is, it's such a, it's a classic basketball debate these days of, you know, high volume three-point shooting or, you know, traditional big man, play through the post, try get to the basket. And um, it worked, it worked for France really well for most of the game. But at the end of the day, I guess three is worth more than two. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, But, but with France... um, you know, Gobert with what was it, sixteen points? You said he yeah. had. Um, they he got to the line a lot and missed a lot. Yeah, so they lost by five points, and the team missed eleven free throws. Yeah, that's right? where those that's where those one points count. So yeah. if France made if France made half of those free throws that they missed, they win. Yeah. They win the basketball yeah. game and they have the gold medal. Mm-hmm. So it's I mean it's it's right there. And, and like I said uh, on on our Instagram, that is a credit to how close you know everyone is catching up with the US and. and of utmost respect to the USA for a well-deserved gold medal. You yeah, know, they did a great job, and they they are the superior talent. Yeah, but uh, it it goes to show, you know, that how good these other countries are getting. You know, uh, France, Australia, Spain, all this stuff. Um, the fact that you know they make four or five more free throws and they they, they win the win gold the medal. Game. And, yeah, and France, like is, France is going to hang around in the future. Their core, their core group's still, um, you know, relatively young. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, if they keep Fournier, Gobert, Decolo, um, all those guys together, they'll they'll be in the mix for you know another a gold medal or a silver medal again yeah, in the future for sure. So it blows my mind how you know big guys that that um I, I, so like Gobert cannot be stopped without being fouled at times against that small yeah, USA yeah. lineup. He's in the post. He gets fouled. Why is it the guys who can go to the free throw line whenever they want are the same guys who just can't make free throws? Yeah, it's yeah, always yeah the case. exactly. It does my head in sometimes, but um, but a great effort from France nonetheless. 
And then we move towards our main focus point, which is the bronze medal match between Australia and Slovenia. Yeah, uh, but an ex- a super exciting game. Um, there was, you know, questions going into it, whether whether Luca was going to play, um, how limited he was going to be. Mm-hmm. But um, Australia's main focus was just going to be getting the win either way. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, it was an you know, exciting start. Yeah, I think this is a great point where we can transition into... Uh, uh, old school story, yeah. which is basically surrounded around the boomers' history, um, and because I think it's it's in understanding this bronze medal game and the significance of it, it's best that we first take back and talk through some of the history. So just mm-hmm. to rattle off a few numbers, the the Australian boomers have taken part in fifteen Olympic campaigns throughout history. They've also been involved in twelve World Cups. Yeah, uh, never received a first, second, or third place medal before this. So they've they had five five times they've finished in fourth place. Mm-hmm. Um, we're gonna Christian's gonna talk about some of those in full. But um, yeah, this is uh, this is a long, long time coming. And this group, these core guys of Ingles, Paddy, you know, Baines, Delhi, those guys have been together a long time. And um, the significance of this game was huge. So I'm um, I'm gonna take it back to 1990. Um, sorry, 1988, the Seoul Olympics. Um, and we're going to talk about, and we're going to wrap back to this. The these are the foundational players of the the, the Boomers' history, and I'm talking about Andrew Gaze, um, guys like Andrew Gaze, Luke Longley, Shane Hill. But specifically in 1988, um, in group play, they went three and two. The the Boomers reached the um, reached the bronze medal match and played the USA. And at that time, at that time, sorry, uh, the, their best player was David Robinson. Um, but they lost that game 78-49, and uh, Gaze had led, led the team the, in the quarterfinals, the semifinals into the bronze medal match. But that's like their first. First time in history coming fourth. Mm-hmm. Um, we go to the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta. Uh, Australia goes four and one in group play. A really, you know, an elite Australian team. Shane Hill, Andrew Gaze. Um, they beat Croatia in the quarters, 73-71. They lost to the US in the in the semis, 101 to 73. And then they had a matchup with um, Lithuania for the bronze medal game. This is where they lost 80 to 74. And um, for those who know um, Demontis Sabonis in the NBA, um, this was a uh, they went up against. Demontis Sabonis' dad, who was the Advardis Sabonis, he scored 30 points, 13 rebounds, 3 assists and 5 blocks to, to win bronze for Lithuania that year. So that's sort of just so you know, go back to this, the, those sort of teams and like the foundation. Um, we also jump into 2000 Olympics in Sydney. So this is where head, head coach Brian Gorgian, the, the now head coach of the, US, of the Boomers, um, this is when they beat Italy in the quarterfinals, 65-62, to 62, lost to France in the semis, 76-52, to 52, and then lose the bronze medal batch again versus Lithuania. So that's like, this is before we get into the, the Paddy Mills, the Joe Ingles, the Aaron Baines, the Andrew Bogats. Mm-hmm. And um, this is where we jump to the, an exciting an exciting Olympics, the 2016 Rio. Yeah, so 2016 in Rio, uh, that brings us, you know, into modern day. I think those those past matchups, you know, those past uh, Olympics that you've just mentioned, three fourth places that really set the tone for mm-hmm. this um this this culture of, of the boomers who you you know who have tried so hard and strived and strived and, and just fallen short and, prog- and progressively gotten really better well. yeah. yeah but then uh, you come here uh, twenty sixteen in Rio was a game that you know a, a lot of listeners might remember um, it was a, a heartbreaking game for the Aussies who were playing in the bronze uh, for the bronze medal um, with five seconds to go they were uh, leading Spain by one point yeah uh, they were ahead by a point uh, looked like they were they were five seconds from their first ever medal yeah and uh, Paddy Mills a younger Paddy Mills uh, who obviously was the hero of this Olympic campaign yeah commits a foul with five seconds to go uh, a pretty much a phantom foul mm-hmm. uh, Australia was shocked you can see everyone in absolute shock that the foul was called yeah on a, a French player driving to the basket 
Um, but the foul was called. Uh, France hit two free throws to take the lead with one, uh, five seconds remaining. Yeah. And then on the other end, we call a timeout, uh, advance the ball, um, and Australia fumble the ball and lose it. Absolute heartbreak um, for the Australians who really thought this was their first time to get a medal. This was a prime Spain team mm-hmm. um, that Australia went toe to toe with. Yeah. And, well, you Pau know, Gasol had thirty-one points and eleven rebounds. Yeah. This was this game. was him. At, this was him at his best um, mm-hmm. when he was leading the team. Yeah, just I can I can remember watching that game. Frustrating. You you felt so close. You could you could um you could taste it. The win was there. Mm-hmm. But um that's the thing. You know, unfortunate an unfortunate foul, controversial foul. But yeah. you know that's um that's, that's another addition to the Australia coming fourth in the Olympics. Exactly. And then speaking on Spain as well, let's talk about the twenty nineteen uh, World Cup. Yep, yeah, so Australia, this is um, another exciting, you know, uh, World Cup. Uh, so we won the quarters, 82-70. Semi-finals, we lost to Spain, 95-88 to in double mm-hmm. overtime. So another, another, you know, a very, very tight matchup. Double overtime semi-final, which would have sent us to the gold medal match. Yeah, uh, Paddy Mills was Paddy. He was, uh, you know, very elite in that game. And then we, we played France for the bronze medal and we lost at 67-59. to 59. Yeah, so, so that was heartbreaking. That's, um, that, that, um, we didn't know it then, but that was the last time we were going to see Andrew Bogut as part of the mm-hmm. Boomers. Um, a, a frustrating, you know, again, so close. And this, this group is feeling the same pain that those core guys back in the 88, 96 and 2000 felt like Andrew Gaze. You know, we keep getting close, but we're, we, we're falling short. So I think that sets the tone perfectly for this game that, that was played the other day. So yeah. I think that's a little bit of background. Uh, it sets the tone for where we're at. Australia came into this game against Slovenia uh, with, you know, a lot a lot to a lot to take. Um, this is, again, following that game from the US, this then became the biggest game for Australia yeah. to try, you know, bring home that medal um, that was, you know, so they've been longing for for so long. You see the guys of Ma- uh, Paddy, Joe, you know, Delhi. Uh, Aaron Baines, you know, grow over time. You've seen them transform. They look, they look different. They look yeah, older, yeah. and here they are. They're vets after now. all these yeah, times. Yeah. Um, and yeah, a fantastic effort by uh, Australia, uh, who win that game, one hundred and seven to ninety three, to claim their first ever bronze medal. Paddy Mills was amazing with forty two points, which is the most ever in an Olympic medal game. It's the second most for an Aussie uh, in an Olympic campaign it, it of all time. It shouldn't surprise us if Paddy just keeps coming up, you know, yeah. big in these in these huge moments. But to me, um, you know, speaking more technically, I was really surprised at Slovenia's uh, defensive strategy against Mills and against the Aussies in general. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of teams have focused uh, during the campaign, focused on shutting down Paddy, whether it's denying him the ball, you know, just attacking him offensively, which limits his, uh, sorry, attacking him on the defensive end, which then limits his offensive output, different things. I didn't really see any of that from Slovenia. I don't know if Slovenia were more, fo- more focused on other teams in terms of their scouting. I think I saw, that's what I was thinking watching Slovenia. They they seemed more focused on just scoring more points and they've yeah. been such an elite, you know, team in the Olympics at, at scoring at scoring high. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, they were focused more on that than like, you know, containing Paddy. Yeah, so I think Paddy was able to, you know, he started off shooting very well from the perimeter. When they go, crap, you know, this guy can shoot the basketball, which he clearly showed with his 26 first half points. Um, you know, he starts he starts to attack the rim as well. And, and Australia's offensive system, the you know, pistol offense, five out motion offense, allows for him to attack the rim because um, you space out the floor. You know, when we've got our bigs playing out at the three-point line, that mm. sucks out the defensive bigs with them. And it means a guard like Paddy, if he beats his defender, has got a free path to the basket. Yeah. Right? And, it, and it wasn't just, um, you know, it wasn't just Paddy. Joe Ingles was, you know, was cooking from it from three-point land. He was getting, he was getting inside a bit. And I, I was really, really impressed with Dante Exum's play. Mm-hmm. Um, he was doing a mix of, you know, driving in, um, dunking. He, he threw down some tremendous, tremendous dunks, and his three-point shot was going as well. If you, yeah, uh, with Dante, at first I was, you know, I was real angry at him at first because in the first quarter of play, 
He subs into the game, walks straight up to Luka Doncic and clearly um, says something to, you know, he talks shit to Luka. Yeah. And Luka on the very next possession turns around, gets an and one and turns to Dante and you can hear him say, you know, you can you can read his lips saying, don't talk shit to me. And I yeah. said, what have you done? You've he, woken up Luka. He poked the bear. And yeah. for those that don't know, so like Luka Doncic's a, a, an NBA superstar on a $200 million contract. Uh, Dante Exum currently does not have an NBA contract, mm. and he's talking shit to you know a guy that of, of that level. Yeah, but it shows his heart <laughs> and his and his spirit uh, going into that game, and he made yeah. up for that and later he, oh, on. And he made up for a big time. He was huge in the second half, especially that coming down clutch where we pulled away from Slovenia. Uh, he was he was key in that. We were, it was um, he put us up ninety to eighty at one point mm-hmm. behind like two three pointers and a dunk from a steal. Yeah, and that was that was where Australia really got rolling, and it really became you know true that we were winning our first. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I I just got to mention in terms of defense, uh, you know, Exxon was fantastic Mm -hmm. defensively. Matisse Thybul is absolutely incredible defensively, how he's able to steal and get out in transition. What an addition to the Australian sport. Yeah, he's he's fantastic and he's already, you know, he's instantly loved by Australian basketball fans in his first campaign here. But just in general, the Aussies did such a good job. You know, I, I speak a lot about their motion offense and all that and their five out and how... It's so valuable to have a, a, a group of big men that can play on the perimeter. Yeah. Offensive, they're mobile enough to do that. Yeah. But it's the same thing defensively. Because they're also mobile, because Jock Landau can play, you know, um, 20 feet from the basket, you know, defensively, he can move his feet and everything like that. Nick Kay as well. They're really good defensively. It means they can show on everything. They can contest every three-point shot. And they did that throughout the tournament. Um, they held every single country... Uh, below their scoring average throughout the tournament Australia did. Besides Italy, who were bang on their average scoring for the tournament, Mm -hmm. every single country, they held them below their average. So the Aussies hang their hat on defense. They were proud of their defense. Brian Gorgian is an excellent defensive coach. He plays instruments, scrambling defenses and stuff that's all about, you know, hedge and recover and, you know, playing team defense where we're all on a string. You know, they're mobile. They can force turnovers. And the athletic nature of, you know, Tybal, Exum, and even the bigs, uh, also means they can get out in transition uh, when they mm. force turnovers. So yeah. that's something that Australia did really, really well in this game too. Yeah, and the aftermath of winning bronze was just amazing to see the emotion on on the vets of the team. You know, you saw Joe Ingles hu- hugging Paddy. Mm. Um, you know, Delhi getting emotional. Um, Coach Brian Gorgian, who you know he's been part of the Australian team in the past. But, you know, he's come back and really, you know, really delivered. Yeah. Um, but you know what? 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 Um, really hit for me was seeing Andrew Gaze after the game. Just you know, so. You know, so emotional. All the all the battles he'd been through before, and you know, seeing this Australian team finally get over the hump, which is winning a medal. Yeah. Um. You know, he's one of those guys that laid the foundation. But you know, the bronze medal, the way I see it, the bronze medal, it's for it's for all those Aussie players before them, and it's you know, it's, it's it really sets the standard for the the Australian boomers culture going forward. Yeah. It's it's you know, it, they, this couldn't happen without everything that came before it. I think you know, it, it's more poignant. I think when the players themselves mention it, you know, talk about the players that have come before them. And- mm-hmm. How much that meant to them, yeah. But yeah, to hear Bo, uh, to hear Gaze talk about the significance of it because he's been around the game, one of the most iconic Australian basketball figures ever. Yeah, um, just illustrates how meaningful this was. And anyone who's been an Australian basketball fan and seen the heartbreak of previous campaigns understands the significance. Paddy Mills is the leader of the team. You know, wore his heart on his sleeve, and you could just tell how much it meant to him. So, incredible effort from Australia to win that game. And to, um, yeah, get their first medal. Like you know, we we, we don't know uh, of of the of those core guys we talk about. You know, Patty, Joe, Aaron. Uh, we don't know where like how involved they're going to be in future Olympics. You know, they they, they still will be. You know, I think Pat will be thirty six come mm-hmm. the next Olympics. Um, by then, whether he plays or not, you know, Australia's sort of been going in a different direction because you need to sort of find 
how to get the whole team like as a whole going. Yeah, but every year that you know there are more and more Aussies in the NBA Definitely, and Aussies yeah. who are you know making a name for themselves. Uh, this Olympics was the perfect testament, and I said this at the start of the campaign that I thought it would be, and it turned out to be the exact way. It's a testament to the nature of basketball in Australia, how it's grown, how people are becoming more interested in it. Uh, even be, as a constituent of Basketball Australia, you know, even in, in its in a really small way, as a you know coaching at a high school level, such a cool thing to see how the game has become so, so relevant and so yeah. all, uh, not international, but how good yeah, yeah. the Australians are, yeah, you know, yeah. how how much we've. Uh, grown in terms of the global mm-hmm. game yeah yeah. so yeah co- really cool to see and i think australia's going to hang around as a contender for a long long time yeah no it's not over it's not over yet for us mm-hmm. so i think that that sums up our olympic campaign i had a lot of fun watching uh, the olympics more than i did the nba personally yeah the different styles in terms of from an x's and o's perspective the different style of play that you see on the international stage mm-hmm. the amount of heart that these guys guys play with when they're playing for their country uh, it was so much fun to watch um but yeah, it's, it's come to an end and we look forward to the next time that Australia can take the court together. Yeah, exactly. So only three years away now due mm-hmm. to you know, COVID putting the Olympics back one year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, as you said, just we had the NBA finals straight into the Olympics and you know, just uh, it's, it's cool to have that all rolling and it's, it's, it's been an exciting time. For sure. So that will conclude episode 13 here. Uh, next episode, we move into so for episode fourteen. For those of you who don't know, it's going to be our free agency episode. I'm very excited. So for this. yeah, there's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of NBA stuff that's been happening. Maybe even behind the scenes for a lot of you because of Olympics taking the forefront. So you know, there's players that have moved that you might not even know about. You know, things that teams have done that, to change up what they're what they're doing. Uh, we'll talk through some of the best, some of the worst, and all, basically everything in between with what's happened in the off-season. Yeah, and who knows? Maybe um, Australian Ben Simmons could be on the move by Thursday. Yeah, so we'll, that'll we'll be see. something we'll be talking about if that happens. Yeah. But um, yeah, so much to catch up on. And yeah, thanks for listening to our Olympic catch-up. And yeah, listen to our next one on pre-agency. See you next time.